we go with another Two Barriers Tennis takeaway. And Mr Cowan, I think we're all just uh, in a bit of shock, really, uh, absorbing what Andy Murray has achieved over the past week to win a title again. The first time in over two years, obviously the first one since he had his second hip surgery. And it all seemed at the start of the year that we wouldn't see any more of him. And here he is, a trophy in Antwerp. Wasn't it brilliant? Yeah, hi, Barry. Amazing effort. Uh, And, you know, sometimes, like last week, so much was going on. You had three tournaments in the men's, you had two tournaments in the women's, the the final throws of qualifying for the WTA finals. But he stole the headlines, didn't he, Murray? And what has been not just an extraordinary week, but I think an extraordinary year, really, for, for Andy. And, we, you know, we've talked a lot, haven't we, over the last period of months about Andy and, and the way he's been able to build momentum. I'm sure, like you, Barry, that you've had people come to you and asked you, what is Murray done? I mean, realistically, can he get back? Uh, oh, he lost to Tennis Sangren in, in Winston-Salem. Oh, he lost to Gasquet in Cincinnati and he wasn't particularly good. But it, it takes time, doesn't it? And you can it does. Nev- and you can never underestimate great champions who know how to get it done, who still have the belief and... The the massive encouragement was the way he played in Asia and then to come back from Asia and, and do what he did last week. And, and it was classic Andy, wasn't it? Setting a breakdown, breaks down in the third. He some, somehow finds a way. He hasn't lost the, the genius part of him that he, that he had uh, right from his early, well, late teens, early 20s when we saw him. Indeed. It was just mesmerising again what he can produce when he's got his back to the wall and, and his ability to beat the, the calibre of opponents he did. Obviously, he started against a, a Belgian wildcard in Kimmer Kopijens, uh, but that was a bit of a struggle getting into the tournament. OK, then he played really well, I thought, against Cuevas. Then the battle with Koppel, that was three sets. Another one with uh, the young Frenchman who's uh, showing such promise, Hugo Umber. And then, of course, against Stan, who he's faced so many times. They've played some big matches against each other. Of course, it was that crippling match, really, that Murray suffered at the French Open, wasn't it, in 2017, that really did damage to, I think, to the hip. And, and he was a very sorry figure, as we saw him hobbling out of Wimbledon subsequently to that. But to come back and to come back in the match again and again against Stan, who was playing some awesome mm. tennis. What a final for the tournament itself. Amazing. Unbelievable. And, you know, well, Vavrinka, a lot of class. Um, I mean, he has he has that Vavrinka, that big match mentality, but also being able to show sportsmanship that he did at the end. I mean, Murray is the story. Uh, and I think what, what it shows, I mean, he, he, sh- he kind of has shown the way, hasn't he? And that's why I always believed he would get back to top 20. Now, we still don't know whether he can go any higher. I mean, the reason I always felt he could get back to top 20 is the game hasn't left him. When you look at the players between 10 and 20, have they dramatically improved? No, I don't um, think so. So that's why I always thought that, that Murray, that would be a realistic chance for, for, for Andy get, to get back to in that ranking bracket. And what was the turning point when I look back? What was the match where I felt that he was massively heading in the right direction? I think it was probably team, you know. I think that was probably the match, even though he lost in Beijing. I wasn't surprised he beat Berrettini because that was the first round. But I think the team quarterfinal was was huge for him, that he was able to go toe-to-toe with someone who was as who is as good as team. And he ended up, of course, winning the title. In terms of his team, 
of course, Jamie Delgado, the guy who's been working with him for a few years now, and, and Matt's there, and uh, and Shane as well. And behind it all, Kim. And, and it was lovely to hear Andy talking sort of openly in the week in press about the support she has given to him. Obviously, they're, uh, as we speak, expecting uh, the arrival of their third child. So we hope that all that goes uh, safe and well for Kim in particular and, and the new baby. Um, but to give that support, those low moments when Andy was away wondering what might be pushing himself. I mean, it, it does take great support like that behind the scenes to help somebody do what he's achieved, doesn't it? Massively. I mean, it's very much a team effort because there's a lot of sacrifices that have to go into a individual becoming someone who is right at the top of their sport. And again, we go back. And I think it's really important to go back. I mean, there are some people who say, but you've got to always look forward. But I think we need to go back and rewind. Uh, and Andy was the best player in the world at Wimbledon when it was visible to everyone that watched his, his actually, I thought, a remarkable run to the quarterfinals when he eventually lost to Query. How hampered he was by that hit, that he was the number one player in the world. So in many ways, the last two and a half years, the difficulty for Andy has been, his mind still says I'm world number one, but his body says no. And I think it, initially it was, I want to go out on my terms. I mean, that was what was interesting, wasn't it, when he was speaking to the British journalists this week, was that, that he, he felt that there was part of me that was, that was really struggling to deal with it. And I think he admitted, what, a couple of times he actually stopped um, because the body just wasn't able to, to handle the rigours. He knew he wasn't anywhere near where he wanted to be. And then I think the Australian Open was a big turning point because I think in his mind he had kind of written it off. But then he would have looked at it, Roberto Bautista, a good five sets on basically one leg. Well, if I can give it a go, the, 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 the operation, the hit resurfacing, and it is a success, and I'm competing at that level on one leg, it's worth a go. And you know, since then, it has been very much a, a positive story. But it's, it's got to be patient. You know, now he's been able to win that first title. It also helps, I think, the off-season. It helps his motivation going forward because what you don't want is when you're coming back, Barry, is it that when you, when you are, have had time away is to suffer a lot of knocks and you, your confidence dwindles. But at no stage this year have I felt his confidence has been dwindled. You go, go from Queens to Cincinnati. I mean, he lost to Gasket, but that was irrelevant. The positive news was that he was playing singles again. Yes. And he's, as you say, taken it step by step. Patience has been an absolute key to this because it was uncharted territory to come from where he was with the injury, with the, the surgery he required to achieve what he's done. He's the first ever. And I'm sure that his surgeon, Sarah Muirhead Olwood, who uh, did wonders with him back in January, um, she'll be delighted, as will her team, to see what they've been able to achieve or what a, a professional sportsman who pushes the body as much as Andy has to do can now do with that kind of surgery. I, I guess they might be uh, selling out a few of those uh, pretty soon. Um, in terms of where he goes next, we, we know he's got some time off, uh, in inverted commas, with a new baby arriving, but he's going to play Davis Cup in the finals for Great Britain, the new version of it next month in Madrid. And of course, we know how much he loves that team event and was absolutely the forefront of, of Great Britain winning it back in 2015 in Belgium. Funny that, Belgium again, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. But um, next year, going into 2020, would you expect him to, to play a full schedule again? Is there any reason why not? 
I think full schedule. I, I think we need to sort of clarify. I mean, a wise schedule, you know. Yeah, that, that yeah. He, he won't avoid the clay or, or mighty. Well, I think he he will obviously want to build his year around the majors. That that is the key for Andy, and I do think he will play the clay. And I think four majors. You generally you start with the four majors and then you work back. And I think what what Andy will want to be wary of is changing surfaces too much. Yes. I think that's probably the key. What he won't want to do. I mean, I mean, obviously now is an advantage because you, you know, unlikely he's going to have to play um, a Davis Cup. We actually never know, depending how Britain do in Madrid. But I mean, if he has to play Davis Cup on clay before Indian Wells next year, the qualifying, then he won't do that. So I think he'll want to start on hard. I think he'll want to continue on the hard, but he won't be going, you know, ridiculous schedule. He won't be playing four or five weeks in a row. I think. The Masters tournaments will be important, but he doesn't have to play every Masters tournament. He, he's going to get back. Won't change my opinion. I, know, I think you've always felt the same, Barry. He's going to get back to top 20. And then the exciting part will be, will he be able to then kick on from, from, from that position? Also, such a good news really for Stan, that uh, a guy who had a serious knee injury and required surgery that he has found his way back to top 20 level. He's moved up, I think, to uh, 17 in the rankings um, coming out today. So for him, uh, that's proof positive that, you know, he's got the game, he's got the, the, the physicality still to, to play great tennis. And I would imagine that he's also licking his lips at the prospect of 2020. Uh, I've got to tip my hat to all these guys, and, and I would include Serena in it as well, that they have the motivation to still want to do something that they are, they're incredible at, but, but to be able to still push themselves when maybe realistically, they're not, they're not going to achieve. I mean, certainly with Stan, there's no guarantees that he's ever going to be back making semis or finals of majors, but the motivation is still there. Even at, you know, these guys at 33, 34, 35 years of age, uh, I ju- that, that for me is where I, I, I am so much admiration for them. You, Borg, retired, what, 25? Macaro never won a major after 26. It always it was historically that you played your best tennis at 25, 26. Once you got to your early 30s, physically and mentally, it was really hard for those guys because they've been on a journey for so, so long. So, yeah, I'm pleased for Vavrinka. Uh, I think probably the loss yesterday makes it even more difficult that he will qualify for London, but it is still mathematically possible. However, he's... He's due to play Federer in the quarterfinals this week in Basel, which, as we know, playing Federer on a hard court is not a good mix, is it? No, we'll, we'll perhaps uh, look a bit more at that in, in a moment. But uh, in terms of wrapping up the past week, of course, two younger men on the sort of early stages of their respective journeys on the tour, Denis Shapovalov winning his first title, getting that one in uh, Stockholm and uh, played a really good week to get through that beat to Krajinovic for the title. So a guy who perhaps um, went a, on a bit of a, a detour after his initial breakthrough. His, he lost his form. He lost some focus, perhaps some confidence. But that uh, is a big deal for him, for any player, to win your first title on the tour. It is huge, Barry. And I've watched Dennis a lot since he burst on the scene. And I've watched him a lot in the last few weeks. And this was coming He's been building momentum. You know, again, I go back to that word. Every single week that I've seen him since Winston-Salem, he's played well and he's got better and he's got closer. And I think this was important because the long when you look at his rivals in the next gen, 
they've all won titles. Even Tiafo has won a title. And this was missing from Shapovalov's CV. So I think this was massive for him. Forget the players he beat. You know, it's irrelevant that it was a player 90, 213, 129 and 60 in the world. It was winning a title, being able to deal with that pressure and getting a title under your belt. So I think that's huge for Shapovalov. And the difference from this time last year is how fresh he looks mentally. He was frazzled 12 months ago. He pulled out the next-gen finals, which at the time I wasn't comfortable with. I think that he should have gone to Milan. But he, he's in a different place now. He, he's worked a little bit, hasn't he, with um, Mikel Yuzny, maybe a different perspective. So I think it's really encouraging for Shapovalov, really encouraging for Rublev, his, his upturn in form after really tough injuries is huge. And we shouldn't f- forget Yannick Sinner. Yeah, Sinner was obviously somebody who shone in Antwerp, got to the semi-finals before Vavrinka beat him there. He, he's going to be a tremendous player, one would imagine, if it, he keeps on the right track. But you mentioned Rublev there, who was the other winner of the week on the men's tour in Moscow. So uh, winning uh, you know, his hometown event, that was a big deal for him. And great to see, I think, somebody who has got incredible talents and, and game, who had a, a, a bad injury last year, that the stress fracture of the back, that uh, he's now playing such good tennis again, got the better of Manorino for the title. So uh, excellent from him. In, in terms of others of, of the week, I just would pick out um, Janko Tipsarovic because he bowed out, didn't he, in Stockholm, had a great battle with Sugita in his final match after he'd seen off Fanini one and one. Fanini the top seed there and Fanini supposedly still in a shout in the race. But um, Tipsarovic uh, took care of business there and then... Perhaps it was only fitting, Baza, bearing in mind all the great matches we've seen Tip Zarevich fighting his way in over the years, that it should be such a fight with uh, Sugita, who was a tremendous fighter from Japan. And ultimately, it was decided in a, in a final set tiebreak. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, 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 I mean, we shouldn't forget, he qualified for London, Tip Zarevich. And there was, as you said, there was that period, wasn't, wasn't there, when he was a physical beast. I mean, he really was. Um, so strong physically and strong mentally and playing some terrific tennis. But as soon as that that 5% physicality was taken away from him, he was half the player. And that's why, you know, when we go back to someone like Murray, you know, the 5% for Murray is is not going to be as a bigger, bigger difference than someone like a 5% of Tip Zarevich. You know, Tip Zarevich has gone from being top 10 because he's 100% physically to, to be, you know, a player that really struggles to be able to to to, to post week in, week out because they're, they're, your, your, body is, your body is absolutely saying no. So a nice way to go out. I always think it's a nice way. What you don't want to do is your last match or your last tournament lose one and one and people saying, well, he should have quit before that. It's, it's nice to go out when you, and you remember them giving their all. Um, so I think for Tip Sarovic, that's that's a good moment for him. A good moment on the women's side, undoubtedly, for Belinda Bencic, who emerged uh, as the champion at uh, the Kremlin Cup in Moscow. Uh, she got the better of uh, Anastasia Pavlichenkova in the final, and she had to come from a set down to do that. She'd actually qualified by reaching the final, qualified for the uh, WTA finals coming up in Shenzhen. And Svitolina had already got through, although she was beaten in her opening match in Moscow. But um, Bencic, another player who was... Uh, had some difficulties in her in her career, injuries and such, but um, 
played some really good tennis this year and that's just a, a huge confidence boost winning a title going into the finals at the end of the season it's always a tough one isn't it when you're trying to handle the pressure and qualify for the year-end finals and when it's on the line and with Burton's and Bencic in that same half it certainly was squeaky bum time but <laughs> yeah I mean at one stage it was looking unlikely with Bencic she was kind of struggling a little bit to deal with those those pressures but when you do deal with those pressures and you come through flying colours, it can give you so much confidence. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past her to win it now, the whole, the whole event. Um, I mean, she's got as good a chance as any of the other seven women um, because she's, Bencic is going into it flying because of winning Moscow, where some of the others you know, haven't played for a few weeks. They would have gone from Asia back to their respective countries and then they're going to go back to Asia again, where without the competitive action, where Bencic has been very much in that mindset. And we know how well it worked for Medvedev, don't we, in the summer? When Sometimes when you go from one tournament to another, actually that can help. And just rounding up uh, other events on the women's tour in Luxembourg, uh, Yelena Ostapenko coming through to uh, prevail against Yulia Gurgis for that one. Ostapenko, former French Open champion, hasn't done a whole lot since, but... Uh, when she hits the ball and connects in the right way, better, she's formidable. Yeah, and working with Marion Bartley, I thought that was a bit of a, well, it was a very left field appointment, but there's a, there's a strong case for super coach, isn't it? And, and maybe for Ostapenko, who has had absolute nightmares with the second serve. I mean, she has been serving double fault after double fault after double fault, but maybe having Marion in a corner, who's, which we know is very, very positive, it seems to have, have worked for Ostapenko. And another good story that Coco Goff and Katie McNally winning a doubles again. So they won in Washington. C Coco Goff won, uh, of course, her maiden title a couple of weeks ago. And, and, you know, all the stories about Goff. But keep an eye on Katie McNally. She is going to go places next year. Well, this week, our attention does turn to, to Basel and Vienna on the men's tour. Those uh, 500 events that uh, will decide a few things maybe before we get into the uh, final Masters of the year in Paris. But uh, Roger Federer, I mean, we touched on it that he could play Stan in a, in a quarterfinal there. Uh, Federer is, what, looking for his 10th title. It's another place of uh, multiple success for Roger. And in fact, I think he's won his last 20 matches there. He missed out on 2016. He didn't perform or didn't play there then. But uh, since 2014, the start of, he's uh, been unbeaten. Are, are you seeing him coming out on top again this time? Not so sure, actually. I think when you look at Federer since Wimbledon, it has been subpar Federer for, for one reason or another. I think you know, Wimbledon took a lot out of him. Physically, he wasn't right in Cincinnati because he had that extended um, break, didn't he? Maybe it was the camping. Maybe it was sleeping on the, uh, a camp bed <laughs> in a tent that did it for him in Cincinnati. Slumming but, it. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm sure it was glamping, though. You reckon? Yeah, yeah I'm sure. It, it had to be glamping. I mean, Roger Federer, $100 million plus, can't be in a tent with a, a uh, blow-up mattress. Um, I, I mean, he last year he won the title, but he played average tennis. I think for Federer, this is, this is always, you know, we've talked about it the last few weeks on our, our podcast. It's a tough, tough period of the year because... He has invested so much physically and mentally. And if you are half a step off it, which I felt he was in Shanghai, I mean, it was a remarkable match with Zverev, but that was not 
norm, the, the type of performance you would expect from Federer indoors because the roof was across. We shouldn't forget that. But with, with Federer being the top seed, you've got Zverev, you've got City Pass, both those guys. Well, more so Zverev, uh, obviously a point to prove because he currently is in seventh place. He needs to, to try and secure his qualification for London as quickly as possible. Um, so I think that, that, that those are the two names that I'm interested in. But City Pass is in the top half. So that would be good, wouldn't it? A City Pass Federer semi-final. It would be excellent to, to see that. And Zverev, as second seed, obviously at the bottom of the draw, Taylor Fritz would be his first opponent. Um, others in there or thereabouts, Bautista, a good Goffin. So there, there is a lot to, to be grabbed here by one or another in that race. Um, but if you turn towards Vienna, Baza, looking in particular at Berrettini, who is just behind uh, Zverev in eighth place at the moment in the race. And uh, his quarter, well, he kicks off against Britain's Carl Edmund, who we've been seeing, we've been talking about, has obviously had some real struggles this year. Dimitrov's in that section as well. Rublev's there. Oje Aliazim. So uh, that's not going to be an easy section, is it, for the Italian, even though I backed him to eventually qualify for London. But uh, if he doesn't do it there, well, then he'll have to try and do it, I guess, in Paris. I mean, it is a brutal section. And actually, when you look at Vienna and you look at Basel, uh, and Basel is always very, very strong. And on ranking, Basel's stronger. But when you look at Vienna, and you mentioned that second quarter, Berrettini, Edmund, Dimitrov, Chung, Raonic, Rublev, Oje, Ali, Asim. Wow. You know, um, Rublev just coming from a title. Dominic Team plays Songa first round. Songa is a wild card. You've got Shapovalov, who's unseeded, plays Karina Buster. So, you know, although you, you naturally say, well, a certain draw is stronger because you've got high-ranked players, actually you've got to look at what's beneath the surface. And I think they're probably a very similar standard this week, Vienna and Basel. I think for, for Edmund, Barry, this, it wouldn't surprise me if he actually won that match, uh, probably more so than some of the other weeks because it, it has been such a a disappointing period, but maybe playing Berrettini, there is no pressure. There are, there are no expectations. And actually Berrettini's got a lot to play for. So in many ways, I think that all of a sudden becomes like a, a 50-50 match. Maybe it's easier for Kyle to just play his brand of tennis that Kyle needs to play. Just go out and play. You know, that would be the advice. Don't, don't overcomplicate it. Go out, use your forehand. You've got a great forehand. Uh, and if, if it gets a little bit tight with what's on the line with Berrettini, that might get a little uh, a little difficult for him. Hachanov seeded too. I, I'm really surprised at the year he's had. I keep expecting him to find his best form. Sadly, it didn't happen last week where he lost early in Moscow. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's going to get it now until the end of the year because with Paris looming, where he's got all those points to defend, that it's kind of a game changer when you lose a thousand points when you have had a sticky year that he has had. And to conclude today, Baza, just uh, looking at uh, what Joe Conta has achieved this year, because uh, we now know she's, she's ended her season, um, obviously had a, a bit of an injury, but overall to be 11th in the rankings this week um, from where she was at the start of the year, how would you s sum that up? Well, it's been a phenomenal year for Conta. And the, the reason it's a phenomenal year is because of the turnaround. She was really struggling the beginning of the year, almost... Still a little bit of the hangover of going back to the Wimbledon semi-final when she lost to Venus. When I actually thought she played pretty well, but maybe that just knocked her confidence and, and it derailed her. And But to be able to 
play as well as she did on the clay and play as well as she did at the French and then play as well as she did at Wimbledon, I think was hugely encouraging for, for, for Joe to get back playing the type of tennis. Of course, there is also, I mean, this is the harsh realities of our sport. There's always disappointment when you when when also you look at positives. So the disappointment was she lost to Von Drusheva in at the French in the semi-final when she had a wonderful opportunity. She lost in the um, quarter-final Wimbledon to Stritzova when she had a wonderful opportunity. Also the US Open, there was looking like oh, there were openings there. But I think you have to very much focus on the positives and she does that, doesn't she? She she even if even if behind the scenes she might be a little bit disappointed with the way things are going. She always says, This is great, this is fantastic. Um one other part, I think it's it's a shame that she hasn't been able to play in the autumn and make a push for for Shenzhen because that would have been uh, a nice boost for for Joe, uh, not only in terms of her tennis, but also her potentially a bank account because they are offering ridiculous money um, for for the finals, WTA finals. Obviously, they got a boost from um, the, the, a lot of the prize money coming from Shenzhen itself. Um, but that's that's going to be a, a, a one now that she will look to recover, get herself right to 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 play her best tennis down in Australia. It really is shaping up for some season next year, isn't it? Baz, thank you very much for, for all of that. Um, great to have your company once again on our Tennis Takeaway podcast. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another one.